0: Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I am so excited to have the guest that I have with me today on the show because he's going to discuss a little bit about social equity, especially when it comes to the cannabis industry. And, you know, I'm going to take a minute before I bring him on to let you know, as much as we've had all of these Different legislative initiatives across the country, state after state after state, you know, now has been passing and really, I think, just unbelievable. I'm so happy that they've been passing medical marijuana laws, passing recreational and adult use laws. And then all of them tack on, you know, some little, you know, paragraph about we're going to enforce social equity and making sure that this is something that's divided up in the community and everybody has an equal opportunity to become a part of it. We see very clearly that across the country it's not true. Lie all you want. Tell me that you're trying to put together programs to make sure that those who have been disenfranchised and those who have been literally used to bear the weight of this industry on their backs as people who have been incarcerated and imprisoned from African-Americans to women to people who are marginalized in the LGBT community. You know, this isn't a community that is really built on the equity that it should be built on. And I'm tired of hearing people saying, well, you know, so-and-so just put their, this state put together a really good equity program, whatever, bullshit. I mean, yeah, you may say on paper, you have a program that wants to make sure you reach out to minorities. But I also know that a lot of these applications that are out there right now, there are some people who are literally reaching across state lines, paying somebody, you know, can I use your name? on this application so I get the license. And then when it comes time to actually perform in the the duties of the business, those people whose name were there don't seem to get that call back. And right now, while we're at a time when we have proven worldwide that we have a business that seems to be recession-proof and almost COVID-proof, I mean, let's think about this. Across the country, almost every state that's passed a medical marijuana law has deemed medical marijuana medical cannabis as an essential service and force them to stay open. And we're seeing across state, state after state after state are reporting that contrary to what people may think, you know, profits are up. This is crazy. Profits have been up in the majority of states where they have good programs where they're allowing people to have home delivery or even still come into dispensaries to pick up. Sales are up. Which you know kind of is counterintuitive, because when you look at alcohol, alcohol sales are down, fast food sales down, you know all those things that seem to be recession proof are no longer recession proof except for pot so if we have an industry that is bearing fruit and making people a lot of money, shouldn't that money be spread across all segments of our society and and my guest today is a dancer, a choreographer, a TV, and recording artist. She's also performed in festivals spanning from 14 countries to five different continents. She's a presidential scholar in arts who earned her bachelor's degree in fine arts degree in dance and choreography from California Institute of Art. She's launched into stardom. She launched. Her career just took off <laughs> like a rocket when she was selected to uh, compete on Logos TV Season 6 of RuPaul's Drag Race and Season 15 of So You Think You Can Dance. Ladies and gentlemen, we have on Let's Be Blunt, and it's an honor to have her here, Laganja Estranja. Hello, everyone. up?
1: Hi there. So nice to be here.
0: So nice to have you. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm just slightly disappointed because I thought you were going to be on a drag, but it's okay (laughs) because I slightly. It don't matter. I'll take you either way you can.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I do. I do. You know, I'm I'm letting this beard grow out right now. It's kind of nice.
0: Oh my goodness! Are you kidding me? Now, how you gonna? Now, what are you gonna do when you go into the drag thing? Where you keep the beard on anyway?
1: No, no, no. I'm definitely not a bearded queen. That's not my look. <laughs> I'm a female impersonator, so I definitely want to look uh, as feminine as possible.
0: Gotcha. Let's let's back up a little bit, and for those of you now know t- today, we, we probably got half of your. Your followers are all tuned in. We, all telling, I got to say thank you so much for that because now I've got some new people coming to the table. But at the same time, you know, there are people out there, and, you know, I think I caught you maybe on Dancing with the Stars. And I went, really? And then, and then and, but I, I don't, that's, and not that it wasn't because of you. I just don't normally watch that show. But I did kind of, I was, I was channel surfing when I caught you. And then I probably went ahead and Googled you and took a look. But for a lot of people who don't know a lot about your background, let's go back in time a little bit. You know, your real name is Jay Jackson. Where were you born?
1: I was originally born in Dallas, Texas. In Dallas. Dallas is a tough place to grow
0: up, with young child understanding there's something a little different about me.
1: yes. Yes, Dallas definitely had its challenges uh, growing up queer and definitely eccentric. Um, But I'm really thankful for my upbringing in, in Dallas. Now that I've lived out in L.A. for over 14 years, I'm very grateful that I grew up in a smaller town, that I was able to go and play out in the neighborhood and really kind of experience that typical Southern lifestyle that people present.
0: Well, you know, and, 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 and forgive me for my ignorance in asking this question this way, but I but I, I, really think that it's important that our viewers who get an understanding of who we are, who we are at our core. So you're in a small town in Texas. When did it click in you? I mean, maybe it didn't click in you when you were five, six, seven, eight, that I'm gay, but maybe it clicked in you five, six, seven, eight, that
1: I'm not like Bobby.
0: Something yeah. weird does mean? Hey, Bobby. mean Bobby. must be the weird one they mean.
1: Right. Yeah, Excellent. it was definitely when, you know, I was put in sports. My parents tried everything for me as an adolescent, you know, ac- activities. And when I was in sports, I realized, like, I'm not like these other guys. I have no interest in kicking this ball around. I, you know, don't want to be outdoors. And it wasn't really until my parents put me in dance where I moved indoors with air conditioning and <laughs> mostly women that I, I felt comfortable.
0: And how old were you then when you went to dance?
1: I started dancing, oh gosh, I think I was probably seven or eight.
0: Seven or eight. Now were your parents did they have a sense that there may be something different about my son or or <laughs> did they think right then? No, he's not gay, he just you know he like dance, he don't like football.
1: I think my parents always knew. I've always been, uh, like I said, very eccentric. So I think from an early age, my parents knew that I was special as they like to say. That's and, uh, you know, I was very lucky that they supported my artistic endeavors.
0: And they were both supportive. both your mom and your dad, right?
1: Extremely supportive. My mom and dad loved the arts. They would come to, you know, every rehearsal, every show I ever did, if we were to perform it, you know, multiple nights, they would still come to every show. My dad ended up working the follow spot in several shows that I did and eventually was even in a show with me. So I was very lucky that my parents loved the arts.
0: And how about your community or friends? I mean, did you have a normal, of course, your generation is very much different than mine. And You know, back to me when I was growing up, I would think that, you know, I probably grew up doing that Neanderthal attitude where they would have alienated you. But, you know, how was it with your generation, which is entirely different?
1: Well, I definitely was alienated. That did happen. Um, I was lucky though, again, that my parents, you know, noticed this in me and placed me in an arts magnet school for high school. So by the time I was 14 or 15, I really started to develop a group that supported me and supported my, you know, artistic abilities.
0: And you did all the all the plays and all the drama and, uh, and were you musically inclined when you were young?
1: Yes, I grew up in musical theater. That was my my love. And it still is today, not as much. But um, I love musical theater because it combines acting, singing, dancing, costumes, set design. It, it's everything. And that's really why I think I ended up moving into drag, is because drag is all of those things, too.
0: Gotcha. Very interesting. In my, my high school years, I was the president of our uh, thespian class, or Thesbian, uh, uh organization committee for two years in a row. I I was in every play that we had, you know, I, I I was never, I, though I was a singer and an entertainer, I had a band, a couple of bands when I was in high school, I never performed in any of our high school musicals. Really? You know, but, but again, let's go back Neanderthal days, my friend, I'm back. This is, this is back in the, you know, early seventies. And, you know, and, and I, I have to say that probably, I didn't perform in them, though. You know, I never had an inkling or or moved towards or thinking about myself as my own sexuality. But I was one of those that was raised to think, well, if you did, if you were in the musical, and you're gay. You know what I mean? Right. So I probably, I, I, I did more of the dramas. As a matter of fact, I participated in a couple of, one of our dramas that uh, our school did, which is a really crazy adult-themed play uh, called Night of January 13th. That uh, I played both the it's a uh, one of as Ann Rice Ann Rice play where I, I I literally got to play the prosecutor and the defense attorney and what we did was this is this is a really great play it was one of these plays where um, when the audience came in and people sat down we grabbed like twelve people's tickets and those twelve people right at the beginning of the play when the curtains open up the foreman walks out and he calls out the seat number for those twelve tickets. Those people had to come up and get on the stage and then they sat in a little booth and then the play is three acts. No, it was a one act play with three scenes. And by the end of the three scenes, you know, it's turned over to the jury and the jury had to make a decision guilty or innocent. And depending on what they came back with, that was the ending of the play. And I played uh, the prosecutor for two weeks and the defense attorney for two weeks and two of my weeks as a prosecutor, I won guilty. And the one of my weeks of, as a defense attorney, I won, not guilty. So the play, I mean, literally right there standing on stage, you had to go boom, switch minds and go, but anyway, yeah.
1: Just I, I I love immersive theater. I'm all about it. I, I I grew up in that environment going to art school. So I love the idea of involving the audience and also having to be as an actor on your toes to really go with what they choose.
0: All right. So then, so what made you, uh, you graduate from high school? Is that when you moved to California?
1: Yes, I graduated from Booker T. Washington High School of the Performing Arts, which I'm very proud of because it's an incredible school, and so many of amazing artists have come from that school, like Erica Badu, just to name one of my favorites. There you go. So good. Very, very good company. Yep. And um, so I moved to California to go to the California Institute of the Arts, and that's where I really started to focus on on dance and choreography because I was in all the high school musicals, but I also choreographed them. And that was when I really discovered that that was my true passion at that time. So I wanted to explore that more in college.
0: That's great. And then post college, what did you do?
1: So after I graduated college, I somehow fell into drag. I had begun exploring this, you know, at Halloween, because that's the one acceptable time for men to dress as women. But (laughs) unfortunately, but you know what I mean? but that was the one, t- you know, it, it was like a bug. It bit me. And once I started doing it at Halloween, I realized that I, I wanted to do it, you know, more seriously. And I was very lucky that I won this amateur contest out here in Hollywood that basically forced me to become a regular showgirl every Monday night. And, um, you know, a year later, I landed on RuPaul's Drag Race. So it was a really, it was a, like you said, a rocket start. It just, you know, I'd only been doing drag a year before I was on that television show.
0: And I guess you you hold a first on that show, right? You won one of their weekly setups, but then didn't go on to the finals. Hmm.
1: I mean, it's true. I only won uh, one mini challenge, but no, I I did not. I did not get to go into the finals. I placed, I think, eighth place, but I made a very lasting impression on the audience. So I'm very grateful for that.
0: And does that allow you to tour around the country, around the world? What does that do?
1: So the exposure that RuPaul's Drag Race has then, which was on Logo, is nothing even in comparison to what it has now on VH1. But even back then, yes, I was able to travel the entire world. I mean, I saw Machu Picchu. You know, it was just unbelievable the places I got to go as a drag performer.
0: Well, let's talk about that for a second, because I don't know if people are aware of how, you know, uh, important or really, you know, how people gravitate to drag performances around the world. Talk about that for a second.
1: Well, I think, you know, we're very lucky in America to be able to express ourselves as drag queens. I think that that's something that we fought for for a very long time. You know, I give huge credit to RuPaul because without RuPaul, I would not be here today. And RuPaul has fought so many more fights than I, I can't even dream of, you know, how he's done that. But I think in other countries, they are still fighting, you know, they don't have the same rights being queer. And so expressing themselves in drag is that much harder because they don't even have rights as queer people. Um, And so by me traveling to these continents and these different countries, it gives, you know, these smaller communities hope. And I think that's what drag queens have always stood for. They're the pillar of hope in, in the LGBTQ community. And I think it's so important that we are Traveling glo- globally, which is why the pandemic obviously has been so challenging for all performers, but I do think specifically for queer artists who are going to these places and giving people hope.
0: Yeah, recently, a country just outlawed gay and uh, queer LGBT community completely. Did not which country was that?
1: I'm not for sure because there's so many that keep getting added to the list, unfortunately.
0: Wow, it's really been, I'm, I'm looking up real quick, but. It, yeah, I remember reading I was thinking myself how the hell can you outlaw human beings you know right. who've been a part of your society since the beginning of your society right let me let me look it up real quick so we have it but but what do you I mean do you do you work with or you work with organizations to help you know see if you can liberate some of this mindset?
1: Well, I'm definitely working with a lot of cannabis organizations to destigmatize cannabis. I also do a lot of work with destigmatizing sex and sex work. Um, but as far as gay rights activists goes, um, I would say my predominantly focus there is just by being a drag queen and living my life openly and true. I'm not really associated with any organizations at this current time. Of course, I've worked for you know the Trevor Project and the Equality Act. Um, but I don't have any current associations with organizations to to be doing that, which is something I should be doing. Absolutely.
0: Well, I just look, I just looked it up. I Googled what country just outlawed uh, LGBT community. And it says the LGBT relationships are illegal right now in 74 countries. That's what research has to say, which is crazy, especially when you're looking at, you know, the fact that if you go back at any of those 74 countries history, you find that the LGBT community was probably really strong there anyway. Right. Since the dawn of man. So tell me, me, uh, what got you interested in cannabis?
1: Well, uh, I was very lucky in high school to have a really good friend, uh, Lauren Glenn, who introduced me to the plant. She basically told me that this would be a way for us to be more creative as choreographers. We were working on my Presidential Scholar of the Arts piece that I actually ended up winning for and receiving the award for. Um, but, at that time, you know i was I was interested. I wanted to see what this would do and how this would affect my creativity and movement vocabulary. So we did We went and we smoked after school off property because I was very much a good boy back then and didn 't break rules. And, um, you know, I don't think I got high the first time, but eventually it it did start to work for me. And it really did allow me to tap into something as an artist that I wasn't able to do before without medicating. And so I, I feel very lucky that my first experience with the plant was really in a medicinal lens I, we didn't use those terms. I didn't. I didn't. You know, necessarily say that. But it really was. It wasn't like we were at some party and this girl passed me a joint. It was, you know, to be creative and to be an artist. So my first exposure to the plant was always, in my eyes, like I said, very medicinal. And that's why over the many years, I, I realized that I wanted to tell people this, and that's why I chose the name. Laganja jastranja because I feel like it's a very important message, and you I mean you've been destigmatizing cannabis since the beginning. I mean, you did it before it was cool, so you know exactly what I'm talking about.
0: Absolutely, and the fact that I like the fact that you talk about the fact that it's medicinal, even for those who think that they are have gravitated towards it because of medicinal, or sorry, because of recreational use. I think that the underlying reason that people are drawn to cannabis is for and maybe an underlying medical reason that they don't even know about i know there was a period of time where you had a back injury right
1: that's correct and that's how i really started to understand that this was medicine i continued to you know use uh cannabis throughout my experiences in my senior year of high school and then college but it was my junior year of college where i i got dropped during a dance piece and dislocate well, it didn't dislocate my back i it got out of alignment my pelvis was out of alignment and so i was seeing a chiropractor which was very painful and he was the one to suggest that I get my medical license under Proposition 215, uh, which at the time I knew nothing about. I didn't know that the LGBTQ community had founded that. I didn't know any of the the history. I just knew that it was legal in California. And so I did, I got my license and I started using that for my back pain. And that's when I realized, wow, not only can this help me be creative, but this can also regulate my sleeping and eating cycles. This can, you know, help my depression be stabilized. I mean, it's just amazing. It really, for me is a all, all day, all time kind of drug for me.
0: Well, I mean, as a you know, <laughs> that uh, sounds to me like you got a brand getting ready to come out, do you? Well,
1: I am absolutely working on my lifestyle brand. I've been fortunate enough to collaborate with several companies, including Hepburns out of San Francisco and Fruit Slabs out of Los Angeles. But yes, I am definitely working on my own line, hopefully produced by queer people for queer people. Uh, but it's a process, as you were saying earlier in the show, when you're talking about equity and the access that people have to it. You know, I have definitely faced difficulties because I am queer. Uh, being able to get the same sort of access and garnish the same type of relationships that, say, my girlfriends who are all tatted up and wearing bikinis are getting at the same time.
0: Yeah, talk a little bit more about that though, because I think that the you know the industry who or we have a lot of industry people who watch Let's Be Blunt with Montana. I think they need to hear a little bit more about the kind of you know reticence you've faced, and even when you go into a
1: dispensary. But saying you know the As I was saying, the Proposition 215 Act was founded by the LGBTQ community. It was also known as the Compassionate Act because they were seeking access to medicine for their brothers and sisters who are experiencing HIV. Oops. There went my cannabis Um, searching for uh, medicine for HIV and AIDS. So basically once I really discovered this and understood that my community had fought for the right to legally medicate with cannabis, um, it became something that I wanted other people to know because I felt like it was something that not a lot of people in the current climate of cannabis really knew, understood, celebrated, talked about any of those things. So in the very beginning because I was so naive, I just went into the industry. Like I was not ashamed. I came in in my drag outfits. I was very like, they're going to love me here. And I realized very quickly that a lot of the mentality is what I like to call bro mentality. And it's this sort of, you know, homophobic, uh, transphobic, and it's kind of xenophobic, really anything that's different than what they are Doesn't work. And I had a really bad experience at a cannabis cup where I was performing. And um, that was in that it was in that moment that I realized, okay, that's why they call this being an activist, because you have to really be active and you have to work. And it's not always fun. And it's not always easy. In fact, most of the times it's not. Uh, but that was when I really made the choice that okay, you know what, I am going to move forward in this industry, and even though I'm going to face difficulties, I'm going to clear space out for queers, and I'm going to remind people: you guys wouldn't even be smoking at this cannabis cup if it wasn't for some gays who ran around and changed some legislations. So, <laughs> you know.
0: And I think that's a message that a lot more people need to understand. It's like the reason why I I have literally started Let's Be Blunt was because I wanted people to understand that you know since 1937 with the Marijuana Tax Act. You know, the people who have been arrested, it's been about 78, 80% of the people who are arrested and spent time in prison for, you know, cannabis violations are people of color, period. You know, and we represent less than 3% of the entire industry as industry owners, which is really ridiculous. How can you build an industry on the backs of people that spent the time in prison and then close them out when it comes time to get remuneration? And the same thing with the gay community, you know, LGBT community. I mean, how can you, you know, Like you said, stand around in a group and smoke openly and not recognize who gave you the right to do so.
1: Right. I I think it's, you know, unbelievable that cannabis is being delivered to our doorsteps. And yet we still have so many brothers and sisters of color still sitting in jail for the same thing. Uh, which is why I do work with people like the Last Prisoner Project, which are aiming to free any prisoner of a cannabis only charge, you know, out of jail. And then, of course, to get them social equity in businesses, because like you said, how can you, you know, uh, purposefully, because that's really what it was. It was a, it was a racism tact. I mean, this was a way to arrest people of color that, you know, it, it can't be said any more clearer than that. And the numbers prove that. So I I hope, and again, that's one of my messages that I try to encourage, you know, in my music video, look at me, I could have done a great drag video that would have been beautiful. And I did that, but I made sure it had a message and it was about this, you know, about uh, people being racially profiled and the the, the disproportionate amount of people of color in jail for cannabis, you know, and I, I, I appreciate too that, like you said that in the beginning and that, that that's why you started this podcast because there's not enough voices amplifying this.
0: Not enough, absolutely. Well, talk to me a little bit about. It. So, what do you what do you like to do? Do you do vape? Do you oils? Do you do concentrates? Do you like flour? Do you like keef? What do you do? You like edibles? Which what's, what's your modus operandi in the in the cannabis world?
1: I am full spectrum, baby. I love it all. Give it to me.
0: <laughs> you like a higher THC or a higher CBD, or you mix and match throughout the day? What do you do?
1: I'm definitely a THC girl. I like sativas predominantly in a citrus flavor.
0: Gotcha. Okay. All right. And do you do that primarily in daytime? You shift over to something else at night, or do you do that all day long?
1: I'll be honest with you. I I do. I smoke sativa all day long. Sometimes at night, if I have an indica and I remember to switch, I will. But overall, no, I smoke sativa throughout the day. I love to dab. Dabbing is my favorite method for sure. I find it to be quick and easy. Uh, It's also long lasting, so I'm not having to smoke the whole day. Uh, But I do love a good joint.
0: You love a good joint. Are you rolling yourself? Do you buy pre-rolls?
1: Um, well, I do both. Uh, right now, though, I am into this super cool company called Moose Labs, and they do have these pre-rolls that comes with this mouthpiece. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's a filter. You really you really need this. This is not just an ad. I'm, I want to tell you about this, because if you don't have this, you need this. They make them for for um, bongs or water pieces, too, in a bigger size, but they just released this for the joints. And this helps filter out the tar contaminants and resins that you don't want in your lungs. And they make the pre-roll that just goes right in here. So i that's kind of my new favorite way. I really have, especially with COVID, taken like more attention to my health. And, you know, when I discovered Moose Labs, I was like, wow, I didn't even think about the fact that the cannabis, because I smoke cigarettes too. I know it's horrible. But I didn't even think about the fact that cannabis should be being filtered as well.
0: It's very funny because I've recently... And you know, I did a couple of podcasts. I was talking to somebody who was saying that, you know, they really miss the socialization of cannabis right now during COVID because, you know, there was a period of time where you, know, you fire something up, and you pass it over to a friend, they take a hit and they pass it through, but you can't be passing the three but or four. But that's
1: people. why this is perfect. See, because you each have your own.
0: Yep. There you go. Absolutely. So it's great. Absolutely.
1: So Ain't look, nobody going to stop me, not even COVID. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, look, let me do this. I got to take a little break, pay some bills, and then I'll come back up and let's talk a little bit about what you see as the, future, not only for your brand, but what else you're working on and what else you're into. So uh, we're joined today by Laganja Estranja, who is the world-renowned drag queen and uh, sharing all of her tidbits on not only just life, but also on cannabis. You want to make sure you stay tuned, make sure you stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Well, hey, again, thanks so much for tuning in to today's edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And our guest today is Laganja Estranja, who is one of the most popular, I think, world renowned uh, drag queens there is out there. My guest is a choreographer, a TV and recording artist. She's performed at festivals in 14 countries and five different continents. She's the winner of the Presidential Scholar in Arts, who earned her Bachelor's of Fine Arts degree in dance and choreography from the California Institute of Arts. She was also featured on Back Then Logos TV's. Episode, sixth season of Le, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, and also was featured on season 15 of So You Think, You Can Dance. Again, Laganja, Astraja, thanks so much for being a part of the show today.
1: I'm just so geeked to be here. I can't believe D. Montel Williams is talking about me like that. It's just unbelievable, man. I really am. It's such an honor.
0: Well, you deserve all the accolades, my friend.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I definitely work hard.
0: There you go, for sure. Well, let's talk about what's working hard and what's coming up in the near in immediate fissure, What are you working on right now?
1: Well, during quarantine, I really have taken the time to focus on what it is that makes me happy. I think when I was working in the uh, pre-COVID world, traveling around the world, performing at nightclubs, um, I wasn't really happy. I, I enjoyed it. I made money and that's amazing. I'm very thankful. But overall, uh, it was very Exhausting, you know. It's not like I really got to see a lot of places. A lot of the times, it would just be the gay bar, the gay bar, and the hotel. And so during quarantine, I realized, like, okay, I really. Want to focus on my artistry and what is it that when i lay all my cards out that i love the most and it's making music making music has been a passion of mine as i said i grew up in musical theater so i really have grown into loving making my own music and being able to perform that as laganja stranja so since season six i've dropped a single every year my first single featured rai rai who is an incredible rapper and still can't believe to this day that she was on my very first track Um, and since then I've been working and working and working and I finally during quarantine realized this needs to be my main focus And this needs to be where I'm more consistent because one song a year, that's not enough. You're never going to become a musical artist dropping one song a year. So I am very fortunate that I was able to go to Atlanta where I make music with uh, BSC Productions. And we are going to be dropping a new single on November 30th called Daddy with a music video. And I can tell you that there will also be two follow up singles next year in 2020 before I drop my album, which is High Conic.
0: High chronic, not high chronic. Chronic. Ah, gotcha. All right, for sure. And then, do do you happen to feature a little bit of cannabis in any of those videos?
1: Uh, absolutely, yes. Cannabis will be, you know, the the huge component of everything uh, in the full album. You know, i in the beginning was trying to make music that was a little bit more uh, commercial, not so you know pushing the boundaries. But you know, when Cardi B released WAP and it went worldwide famous, I was like, okay, I think people are ready for me.
0: Absolutely. And you did say in our last segment that you were thinking about creating your own, you know, specific cannabis line. Let's talk a little bit more about that.
1: I lost you a little bit.
0: I was saying, you were saying in our last segment that you were thinking about creating your own cannabis brand. Let's talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yes. So I have been working with several people. I can tell you that I am going to be releasing a CBD bath line a day to night, three products, Something you use in the morning, something you use in the middle, and something you use at night. And that's going to be available around Christmas time with Honeypot, which is an incredible, uh, world-renowned cannabis company. But they've never moved into CBD, so this is their first time moving into CBD. So very excited to be partnering them with that. But I do. I dream of having my own cannabis line. But this kind of goes back to what I was saying, you know, the struggles that I faced as a queer person to make my own line. It's been very hard. You know, I've had people who have been momentarily interested. I've had people, as I said, who've collaborated with me before, but I've yet to have a company really get behind me and make the Laganja Estranja product, which is frustrating, but I just keep telling myself, Everything comes in, in when it's supposed to. And and I'm learning so much more every day, you know, by working with different companies and seeing different types of facilities. So I know eventually it's going to click and I know it's going to make me and hopefully lots of other queer people money. But it is one of those things that I just I've had to take my time and slowly figure out how I'm going to get in there and how I'm going to have a million dollars. Because let's face it, at this point, you need a million dollars to start a brand. And that's very difficult.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So now, uh, right now, in this time of COVID, you're not performing in clubs, or are you still performing in clubs?
1: I'm very lucky. There is one club in Long Beach that is still doing quarantine, you know, distance and safe shows. I actually perform tomorrow night there. Um, So that's my only in-person show that I'm doing. Everything else has moved to online. I feel like I'm an ad agency these days because I'm doing all of this Instagram stuff, which again, is a shift for me, but I'm just so grateful. I can't believe that, you know, a 31-year-old pot-smoking drag queen is still paying her bills during COVID. I feel blessed.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm glad that there are a lot of people coming to the table. So if people wanted to find you, where do they go?
1: They just go to Laganja Astranja on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat. I mean, where, where there's a platform, you'll find Laganja.
0: I gotcha. And if they tune in, they'll get not only they can see some of your performances also.
1: Sure. Absolutely. My YouTube is a great place if you would really like to see me perform. Um, I do a lot of beauty tutorials, makeup tutorials over there, a lot of dancing. Uh, I think because I'm such a multi-talented artist, you just never really know what you're going to get with me, which I think it's hard to pitch to people sometimes they're like, they, they can't wrap their brain around exactly what I do, which is why I think the music is really going to help people to understand me because the music will incorporate the dance. The music will then be able to have the cannabis line. And, you know, it's going to streamline people's idea of what I am.
0: Well, again, I can't thank you enough Laganja, for being a part of today's, let's be blunt with Montel and people need to understand, just go up to com. That's right. .com. They can find you. And I wanna make sure I really want people out there at home to understand and remember that when we talk about equity in this industry, it's not just about people of color. It's not just about women. It's also about the LGBTQ community who have been really part of the community and really one of the, the, the biggest parts of making sure that this was accessible to all of us. And let's remember that and support that and support that as you move on and keep supporting. let's be blunt with Montel want and say thank you so much for being a
1: part of the show today, son. Thank you so much. It was my honor. Absolutely. You take care of
0: yourself and enjoy that sliv you're in there.
1: <laughs> hey, where did it go? No, here it is. All right. I sure will.
0: All right. For sure. Take care. <laughs>